So before Whitney does the children's sermon, I'm going to read the scripture, okay? So this is from the book of Luke, uh, and it's a story about Jesus and what happened to him after uh, he said a few things in a church, kind of like a church. It was called a synagogue and how the people reacted. So see if you can pay attention to how the people reacted to what Jesus had to say. I'm going to talk really slowly so the choir has to stand for the whole time. <laughs> Hear now God's word to us in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 22-ish. <laughs> then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. And he began to teach in their synagogues, and he was praised by everyone. Then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture, this scripture, has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Yes, Lord, you love us. Your Bible, our Bibles tell us so. And may these words lead us to grow in that love, in your name and in your service, we pray. Amen. So indeed, when we listen to sermons, we come to church, we expect to hear what we just heard about love. We expect to be encouraged to grow in the direction of love. The great commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, which we hold today, is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and our neighbors ourselves. And we remember the words of Paul that faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these are love, or is love. So yes, we will talk about love today. And in our text, we will hopefully find ourselves encouraged in the direction of a greater love. But our our path to that love, our route to that love, will be different than what you may have expected. We will take a detour, if you will, into the realm of hate. Now, even though hate is often treated as the opposite of love, the two are closely connected. 
you might say that hate and love have a love-hate relationship. They didn't laugh at that at 8.30. I thought that was pretty good. So thank you. <laughs> it's going very well so far. <laughs> Hate and love indeed are bound together in very significant ways. The Apostle Paul also wrote, Let love be genuine and hate what is evil. This demonstrates that where there is love, hate is near and vice versa, like the opposite sides of a coin in whose relationship both hate and love have currency. So in communion and in currency with our text today, we will ask ourselves, amongst other things, what is it that we hate? What do we hate? Here's an example. We hate it when someone cuts us off on the highway. Right? It threatens our desire to have some space. It robs us of the respect and consideration that we believe it is our right to have. When there is congestion, someone cutting us off, it slows us down. It wastes our valuable time. puts us further back in line. And in some cases, someone cutting us off endangers our safety and the safety of those we cherish not to mention the well-being of the car upon which we have spent so much money. No wonder those jerks get us so mad. It's never us, but those jerks who do that to us. We hate what they take from us. We hate that they threaten what we hold to be important or of value. Because we hate that which imperils our love, or what we love, I believe that if we want to grow in love, we may want to pay better attention to what we hate. Our hatreds can actually show us the true nature of our love, and also, therefore, the limits of our love, the edges beyond which our love may be encouraged to grow. Our hatred for the jerks cutting us off reveal the true nature of our love for ourselves, for our time, our precious cargo. And these are all good things to love. But absent from the list of our loves in that case is our love for the person who cut us off or our love for the drivers in front of us or behind us. So we do well to pay attention to our hate, to know better our love. Now this brings me to our scripture today in which we see this close relationship between love and hate in Jesus and how he loved in the face of rejection as deeply as he loved in the face of approval. Luke's passage is a pollster's paradise full of favorability ratings, and focus group feedback in which Jesus scored very high. We hear how Jesus was filled by the Holy Spirit, fresh from his confirmation or confrontation with his hunger and the temptations of the devil. And he had begun to teach in the synagogues throughout the land, and Luke tells us that Jesus was praised by everyone. It, he brought 
everyone within earshot into a blessed state of doxology. And that adulation continued, at least initially, in a Nazareth, where Jesus had been raised. This is my hometown, he may have thought to himself, taking a good look around before entering the synagogue. The synagogue, which had become the institutional center of Jewish faith and life, was a place where Jesus was very much at home, very much centered. We see this in the authoritative way he stood up to read, how he confidently unrolled the scroll and found just the right words from the prophet Isaiah, announcing his commission to proclaim good news to the poor, release for the captives, and sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. After reading, he rolled up the scroll and returned it, and he sat down and the eyes of all were fixed on him. It was the cliffhanger moment as everyone wanted to know what he would say or what he would do. Today, he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, leading to hoorays and hurrahs of approval to emanate from the crowd, little heart bubbles of like, like, like popping up on the scrolling screens of their psyches as all spoke well of him, all spoke well of him and expressed amazement at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Everything was awesome until it wasn't. We ended today's reading actually halfway through the scene, partly due to length and partly to throw a little surprise ending at you because the text goes on and we hear that Jesus continues to talk to the people in Nazareth in that synagogue and what he said to them led them to be filled not with praise but with rage an angry mob of hatred that drove Jesus out of town to the top of the hill on which the town was built so that they might hurl him over the cliff what happened what did he say to move the crowd so quickly from approval to rejection from love to hate. Essentially, what Jesus did was provoke and unearth their insecure jealousy about the way Jesus had been performing good works in other places and with other kinds of people before he had performed them there with them, his people. Jesus referred with them to the prophet Elijah, who brought God's words of hope not to the widows of Israel, as they would have expected, but to a woman outside of the covenant. And then Jesus cited Elisha, another prophet, who cured the leprosy of a Syrian, but not any of the lepers of Israel. So whereas the crowd insisted on being at the center of the good news, Jesus proclaimed, and he hinted, that they may find themselves on the outside looking in. And this aroused their hatred. Showing that, indeed, this crowd, we see that hatred and love are very close to one another. Separated by a thin membrane of mere minutes, during which they went from being like the wise men paying homage to the baby Jesus 
to a hysterical mob of Herods seeking to destroy him. This hate reveals the limits of that crowd's love. Sure, they loved the idea of liberation and release and sight to the blind and freedom for the oppressed, but only to the extent that those blessings kept them at the focal point, at the center. Jesus cut them off like a rude driver from their privileged sense of themselves as God's people. Jesus used their own scriptures to rob what they thought their own scriptures meant in saying what it was to be God's chosen people. Their hate revealed a lack of love for those outside of their circle. I have to think that Jesus knew that this would happen, that his love would trigger the crowd's hate. When he was a baby, a man named Simeon looked at him and said to his parents, this child will be a sign, is destined to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Indeed, what was revealed in that crowd's hate was the basis of and the limits to their own love. So I ask you, beyond rude drivers, what do you hate? And what can that hate tell you about what you love and how you love? Does your hate affirm a love worth preserving? I know some of your loves, and I know that they do, that they are worthy of preserving. But I also know that if we peel back the onion a bit, it may be that our hate reveals the limits of that love, a love that maybe has and holds each of us at the center, that wants the blessing for us now before we consider the blessing of others. I'd like to tell you what I hate, and not because I want to make this sermon about me, because I want to encourage you as you explore your own life of love and hate. I hate conflict. I hate conflict, especially when I am one of the primary participants or actors in it. Conflict makes me defensive. It makes me anxious to protect not just my need to be right in someone else's eyes, but in my own. Conflict imperils my love of being in control. Because if I am in conflict, I might get angry. And if I'm angry, I might say or do things or want to say or want to do things that will taint or alter the image that I want to have of myself and that I want others to have of me. Conflict imperils my desire to be liked, and I like being liked. Being liked has served me well, and it has also served others well also. But seeing all this has helped me to realize the limits of my love. I realize that conflict can cause me to disengage. My, my, my aversion of conflict can cause me to disengage, to make me hide behind a dishonest facade of niceness. And I'm aware that this avoidance of conflict, therefore, can be just as violent as an honest-to-goodness fight. 
it helps for me to see that. It helps to know that by hating conflict and hiding from it, I sometimes am not giving myself in love fully to others. That I am not willing to be more open and honest and vulnerable, even as that openness and honesty and vulnerability leads to much more tension and discomfort. Jesus was clearly not afraid of that discomfort or tension or that vulnerability. And he certainly was not afraid of hatred. Even the kind that was expressed as violent rejection, as in the crowd. He entered that arena of vulnerability and tension often. And I believe he did so to expose and to liberate the people who were captive to the narrow lanes of life and love. People who loved their rules and their piety and their traditions. His love and willingness to encounter hate were part of his attempt to tear down the walls constricting the free movement of their love. The same people who loved him hated him for it too, revealing theirs to be a limited love. It's important to see that in this story, Jesus doesn't try to disabuse or take away the hatred of the people carrying him up that hill. Luke tells us that as they took him to that mountaintop place to try to throw him over, Jesus somehow mysteriously passes through them. Like mist, he mysteriously passes through the midst of them to go on his way. And his way was to do just what he did in Nazareth throughout the land of Israel. He would love others and then find his love evoking in many, the stirrings of hatred, a hatred that would lead the crowds later to drive him up the hill in anger to the heights of the cross, again, exposing the limits of his people's love for their God. But then again, like mist, he would slip through the grip of death, stronghold as it was, so that a more universal love and an everlasting life might be realized by his people. Love for what you hate is the sermon title today. But it doesn't mean that we are supposed to love our hates, per se. But to know that being in greater awareness of our hate, we may find ourselves led to a greater love for God and for neighbor. Faith Hope and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. So love what is good, and may what is good emerge from your knowledge of your hate. Amen.